0: I used to have a lot of uh, mice problems in my first two apartments because they were just trash. And uh, so I have a lot of experience killing mice, but uh, there's this one experience that really stands out. Um, I was in my, my second apartment, I think, and we had like a mouse problem and I would put out mouse traps and they would like, you know, kill the mice or whatever. And then eventually they'd go away. So one day I woke up to a mouse trap and it had this mouse in it. Well, no no no, actually now that I remember, I woke up cuz I heard this like screeching. This weird but it sounded like screeching but like really far off in the distance. And I was just like, "What the fuck is that?" and I woke up, went to my kitchen, and I'm looking at this mouse trap next to the fridge and it's this mouse just like mangled, like, you know, he just stepped on a like a fucking grenade in Vietnam and he's just like you know, his back's just all broken and he's just looking up at me like, please kill me. And he's just squealing. It's like it, it was a horrible sound. It was like nails on a chalkboard. I didn't know what to do. I had never dealt with this before. I mean, I'm probably 20, 21 at the time. I'm like, like maybe there's a humane way to kill this because this mouse ain't coming back. You know what I mean? There's was no there guts out. Yeah, there were guts like spilling out of his back. And, oh, it was so gross. So I looked up like humane ways to kill mice. And for some reason, it was only like really fucked up shit that was coming up. It was like, take a dictionary and fucking drop it on his head. Like all this really fucked up shit. But they're like, this is all quick, you know? And I saw this one and I don't know why at the time I thought this was the best option. One told me, fill a bucket with water and then take the mouse trap and put it upside down in the water. And they were like, he'll drown really fast. And in my head, I was like, well, that makes sense. Sounds better than dropping a fucking dictionary on his head. So I did it. I I fucking filled this bucket with water. I picked it up. This mouse is, oh my God, dude. Fucking, I have nightmares about this. It was fucking horrible. This mouse is just like moving around, fucking like breathing his last breath. And I turn it upside down. His guts are just spilling into the water. And I'm like, oh "Oh my God. God. And I just place him, (laughs) I was so fucked up. I place him gently in the water and I take a step back. And for some reason, he didn't float to the bottom out, out first. He just splashed around. Oh, God. So there's just these little splashes, and I'm just standing there, and I want to look away, but I'm like, no, you did this. You need to watch, you sick son of a bitch. And I, I, I'm I, watching this, this mouse drown, and it took, I mean, it took probably a good minute, and it was fucked, man. That That shit haunted me. And maybe by coincidence, maybe not, I've never had a mouse problem since then. So I think mice like know who the fuck I am. I think like word went around and I'm on some list where they're like, stay the fuck away from Jigsaw over there. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So that was fucked. Luckily, I've never dealt with a mouse problem since then.
1: I had to kill a mouse once too. Uh, This was when I was living over in East Nashville Mm -hmm. and I had these sticky traps for spiders. Because there's a lot of brown recluse spiders. Gotcha. So it was probably like...
0: I had the old-fashioned snap ones,
1: by the way.
0: Which they say are the cruelest.
1: (laughs) It's probably like eight inches by three inches or some shit, and you just put it in your closet or whatever. Yeah. And it was getting spiders. I knew it was in there, and I'd gotten a few spiders with it because they got stuck and they died. But I was home one night, and I hear this squeaking. And I walk into my room... And there's a mouse on there and he had crawled he had moved with the pad all the way probably like six feet away from where he originally was oh fuck and i was like fuck so my first thought was how do i get this mouse off of this yeah like how could i and i tried so um i could tell he was freaking the fuck out so i had some cashews so i started feeding him cashews
0: as he's dying
1: (laughs) well i didn't know yet i was like i'm gonna be able to get him out of this but if i feed him some cashews that might calm him down it did Mm -hmm. he was eating the cashews he was enjoying it Mm. and i was trying to like work and i couldn't get him off so um i called my dad and i was like dad uh this mouse is stuck on this how do i do it and he's just, just like very carefully try and peel him off and uh It wasn't working. It got to the point to where he was starting to like chew his own leg and he was shitting everywhere. And this is why I was on the phone with my dad. I'm like, dad, what should I do? And he's like, you're going to have to kill it. You're going to have to kill him. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to have to do
0: this. So you become a man. Yeah.
1: That's pretty much what he said to me. Put some fucking
0: hair in your chest. Yeah.
1: And I was like, I really don't want to have to do this. So I was, I was trying to figure it out because I didn't know what to do and um because i never wanted to kill the mouse i just would have tried to catch the mouse and put him outside right if i would have known he was in there and we had already had mice previously in the house mm-hmm. but i hadn't seen them i hadn't dealt with with the issue it was never in my room i never saw them out and about so i, I asked my dad i was like well, what should i do he's like you're gonna have to just bop it over the head <laughs> so i uh <laughs> I put on headphones cause I didn't want to have to hear, hear it squealing. Oh, for some reason I want to call you a pussy, but I know I just told a pussy story too. Uh, and I, I just put on some music and uh, I walked outside. I brought him out there. I felt, I felt bad.
0: Wait, what were you listening to?
1: I, Please tell me it was like opera music. Like you're a serial <laughs> killer. <laughs> no, I can't remember what it was. It was, uh, I, it was just something so I couldn't hear it. Okay. Uh, I do sound like a pussy though. And then (laughs) I had this, uh, this thick, um, like leather bound day planner that was super heavy. So I was like, I'm going to have to, I was like, this is going to end it quick for him. Mm -hmm. So I just picked the book up and then slammed it right on top of it. And he died. I assume so. Did you you didn't look? No. Because it the it was stuck to the because it was a sticky pad there would have been no peeling it off. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Cuz it
1: would have been stuck to it
0: for some reason but then
1: uh, after that okay after uh, i did it i didn't know if it killed it or not so i stomped on it a few times oh, oh my god while
0: you're doing this i'm just picturing some like really peaceful song playing in your headphones i'm just picturing you like stomping on a mouse while it's like sail away sail away
1: <laughs> we're fucking uh what is that song in donnie darko which one mad world
0: Oh, all
1: around familiar, me are familiar
0: faces. Yeah, that's fucked. I mean, we both sound like pussies. How old were you at the time?
1: <laughs> this is like I lived in my seven or eight months ago.
0: Oh. oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I'm not going to say this about you. I'll say this about me. I know I sound like a pussy. A, I was young. I mean, I'd fucking been a fucking you know swinging dick man for about fucking two, three years. But I'll also say... Hurting, like... Like, I've willfully, like, assaulted, like, human beings when I was in the military, when I could get away with it, non-civilian. When it was accepted. Yeah, because I don't mind it, because the way I see it, it's like we're evenly matched. You know what I mean? Yeah. Animals is a different thing. Animals do annoy me, but, like, a little mouse, they're annoying and they're gross because they shit everywhere. But I still feel bad because it's like... This little fucker's just, like, living his life. Like, he doesn't fucking know no, the difference, No, dude, you know? that's
1: that's the way I felt, too, man. I felt it stayed with me, dude.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was definitely, after I killed that mouse, I was like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'll kill
1: any fucking animal. We're like Darius, dude, when he went to go see Teddy Perkins. That was our first, uh, first regret yeah. in our two-regret life pack. Well, it wasn't a regret for me.
0: Well, the only regret, the regret would not be killing the mouse. It would be... I don't know, maybe hearing your story, maybe I did choose the right thing. Maybe the drowning the drowning thing was just weird. And then when I told people, they would be like, Oh, what?
1: I dude, I fed mine
0: cashews, bro. That's fucked up though, because yours was almost being tortured. Mine dude, was dead I, with I him. was tr-
1: I was trying to give you're, him his this last meal, bro. fucking mouse is
0: like shitting himself and like eating his leg off, and you're like, "Oh, stay a little longer." As you're like feeding him cashews, he, <laughs> he wasn't
1: shitting or eating himself yet. He wasn't chewing off his leg. He was yet. probably shitting out the cashews, dude. He was he was uh, it was calming him down because I was trying to figure out how to get him off the, the mouse pad. All right, a, uh, get him off the sticky right. pad. Would you rather be drowned, or would you rather be just flattened one time? Because mm. drowning, you have to accept that water is going to fill your life. <sighs> you have to come to that acceptance.
0: In the name of me being right, I'm just going to say drowning because I refuse to say I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> In the name of me being right, I'm going to say being bopped over the head and crushed. I guess bopped over the
0: head, but it depends on if your fucker died the first time. Casting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain I'm Zachary Lehman my partner in crime is Taylor Berryman how can people find you Taylor?
1: you can find me on Instagram the underscore Poptimist Facebook Taylor Berryman or uh, Twitter Dub Optimist DA? no
0: oh okay. is it the Poptimist? Uh, no oh it's Dub Optimist yeah gotcha alright uh, yeah you can find me on Twitter at writing Lehman uh, just Zachary Lehman on instagram and facebook and uh go buy my book nye on amazon you got a song out
1: yeah gina 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 look it up check it out people can find that anywhere yeah you can find it on all the major streaming platforms all right
0: so this week we're talking about platoon yes classic film written and directed by oliver stone the one and only uh how many times have you seen this movie before
1: I've probably seen this movie before the rewatch, maybe five or six times.
0: Yeah. I've seen it. I probably watch this like probably once every year. It's a, I mean, it's a heavy film. It's a, it's very heavy. Yeah. It's not like an easy watch. Like I, I find myself getting stressed when I watch it. Um, cause Oliver Stone, for those who don't know, he served in Vietnam. He served in the infantry. This is based on some of his experiences But just the fact that he had that firsthand experience, I think really sets this apart from a lot of military movies. And I would say this is probably the, I mean, no, I'd say without a doubt, this is the best Vietnam war film I've seen. This is my favorite. It'd be like this and apocalypse now, but I would would probably say this is better than apocalypse now. Um, So before we get into it, uh, a couple behind the scenes things. Um, So basically this movie started, he was trying to make this movie for years And this was at the tail end for a while. Like Hollywood was really into making uh, Vietnam War films. And then it kind of trailed off because like people just didn't want to see it because they were making Vietnam War films while we were fighting the war. And that was people just didn't want to see it. It was too fresh in their heads. So Oliver Stone wrote this very young. He was trying to make it for years. And actually, when he first uh, tried to make it, it wasn't going to be Charlie Sheen as the main character, Taylor, who we'll talk about. It was going to be Charlie Sheen's brother, Emilio Estevez, his mm-hmm. older brother, which is interesting because their father is the lead character in Apocalypse Now. So it's funny. It's just within the, the Sheen family. But anyway, so he, he had to wait so many years that eventually Emilio Estevez was too old, and that was the only reason he ended up looking at it. Charlie Sheen. And this is, I mean, between this and Wall Street, which is also directed by Oliver Stone, I mean, this is the best acting work that uh, Charlie Sheen's done because he basically just became a sitcom guy after this, which is what it is, but he didn't really challenge himself in this way after this movie, I feel like.
1: I would agree with that. He just did Two and a Half Men and like a bunch of other... Made his money. Yeah.
0: That's what was important. Uh, So yeah, and so I should say, I mean, the reason we picked this too, I mean... Even though it's a war film, I feel like... Because some people like war movies. Uh, I like them, but I, I don't have like a specific taste for them. I think this goes beyond a war film, though. It's I mean, got to
1: be a good, a good director.
0: Yeah. Um, and this goes beyond a war film. Like I think this is about... It is very specifically about the Vietnam War, but it's also about kind of being a young man and figuring out who you are. Because we see Taylor is his entire struggle through the movie is he basically has two fathers who, again, we'll talk about. But uh, uh, one more behind-the-scenes fact thing. So this movie, when it was made, they made it in the Philippines and it was not supposed to be successful. They had a really small budget and even the actors, when they do interviews now, they talk about, like, the the movie was a great experience, but they were like, there's no way anyone's ever going to see this because basically they were releasing it in a, a limited run and they were releasing it on Christmas and people were like, who the f-?
1: they released it on Christmas. yeah.
0: And so every actor, once they heard that they were like, who the fuck is going to want to see a film this heavy on Christmas? So they all kind of said it was going to be a flop. Oliver Stone thought it too. You know, he got his next job like right away because he, he didn't think this was going to be successful. And then it, it blew up the fucking world. It was a huge, huge success. And then to this day, I mean, it ended up winning a ton of Academy awards and it made a shit ton of money. Um, and to this day, I mean, it's, it's just
1: a classic film. Interesting thing about this movie is that, uh, William Dafoe plays the hero in this movie. Would you call him the hero of the movie? Elias? Well, yeah, I mean, but compared to his other characters, I mean, yeah, this, he is... hasn't, he hasn't played a character like this since. Cause he always yeah. gets typecast as uh, a psychotic it, villain.
0: Yeah. He yeah. He's like the go-to villain. It was like him and like Dennis Hopper for a while. Um, yeah, this is way different from what Willem Dafoe's ever done. And I mean, I would say beyond this being Charlie Sheen's best work, it's also, I think, maybe Willem Dafoe's best performance. It's definitely Tom Berger, who plays Barnes. It's definitely his best performance. And a lot of there's a lot of actors. If you watch this movie, again, even if you're not into war movies, a lot of really big actors pop up and just small Keith David. Parts. Keith David, He's Johnny great. Depp, Johnny Depp, up. uh Kevin Dillon from uh entourage Entourage. yep um and there's a ton of others people i forget john c mcginley uh he's isn't that his name the guy from oh yeah
1: yeah yeah o'neill dr cox
0: yeah i got a bad feeling bob Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get right into it uh platoon so we open with a quote rejoice O young man in my youth let's talk about that quote later let's just let that let that simmer that's how it opens So basically, we open uh, the score. I think this movie has an amazing score. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just puts you there right away. What I like, too, about the beginning of this movie is there's no fucking around. You are on that 747, or maybe it wasn't a 747 back then. Uh, You're on that 747 dropping off Taylor in Vietnam. You see all these new guys coming in. As they're dropping off these new guys, you also see... Bodies. They're loading up dead bodies right at the same time. And we talked about another movie uh, when we did Shawshank. Remember when uh, Andy Dufresne shows up and all these prisoners are kind of heckling him and being like new fish. Same fucking thing happens in Platoon. You get prison vibes, which it might be controversial, but I mean, I'll say military's not too far off from prison. It's same sort of it's just like um, you're serving your time. You're serving your time. And there's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of like, how much time do you have in? Because the time you have in determines whether I respect you or not.
1: And no love interest in this movie either.
0: Yes, he writes his grandma throughout the movie. But I like that they didn't Grandma,
1: war is hell. Yeah, war is hell.
0: Um, I like that they didn't go the girlfriend route. You know, they focus completely on his journey within Vietnam. You know? And I feel like that's Oliver Stone taking from his own experience,
1: probably. Well, the thing is, too, about the voiceover for this movie, he reads it in the same... Rhythm that Oliver Stone would read it in. That's yeah. what I noticed. He, he like kind of speaks because the the way that Oliver Stone speaks is the same way Charlie Sheen does a voiceover. That's
0: kind of too true. Like just this sort of like calm, very thoughtful voice. Yeah, it's almost like I bet I didn't I didn't see anything about it, but I bet Charlie Sheen to an extent based his character off of Oliver and how mm-hmm. he is because Oliver Stone can be crazy, but when you just hear him talk, like he was on Joe Rogan recently, which was a great episode. Um, that is how he talks. It it is. And now that you said that, I didn't notice that before, but yeah, the way he does his overhead narration, when he's saying what he writes in these letters to his grandma, he sounds a lot like Oliver Stone. Yeah.
1: It's the same meter that he speaks in.
0: Mm -hmm. So we jump straight from there and then we're in the jungle. And this is where you start to see Oliver Stone got just the minutiae right of being in Vietnam. Like I have not been in Vietnam but he just puts in little details that other filmmakers skipped, because you see, a the dehydration, how fucking hot it is. These dudes are just sweating, and they're in the Philippines, so they really were.
1: It's I bet it was hell to film that movie.
0: And they show like you know ants crawling on their necks and um, rolling down the hill with all their shit on. Yep, and and you see too, what's scary about Vietnam, at least based on what you see in um, Platoon, is. If you're infantry, that jungle is thick. Like, they're cutting it down with machetes. And again, like, only a guy who swung a machete would probably realize it. But doing that repeatedly, they're getting so fucking tired. You know what I mean? So that's a great element. You see Taylor, he's struggling. He's, like, getting so fucking tired. He
1: falls over.
0: Falls over. He ends up becoming a heat casualty, as they call it, in the the military. He ends up passing out. And we're introduced to Barnes first. Barnes is basically like, hurry up, boy, because he's he's holding back the whole the whole platoon. Doesn't and give a fuck. No. He, yeah. And uh, well, he, he's got then we see Elias come in after Taylor passes out Willem Dafoe and he's being much more he's speaking to him on a much more human level. Because he
1: understands he just got there.
0: Exactly. Which shows you already... I mean, we're like five minutes into this movie. You already see the difference between Elias and Barnes and how they approach leadership. Barnes is like, I'm making these men into machine, machines. You know what I mean? And Elias approaches it a much more human level. Like, he's pouring water on his neck to get rid of the ants. He's like, you got too much stuff. I'll carry it for you today. So, anyway... It's a great scene. It shows kind of the difference between them. Um, And then we're basically in the routine of Vietnam. Uh, We see basically, you know, supplies being dropped off because they'll basically, they'll walk through the jungle. They'll find a place to set up camp. They'll dig foxholes. Uh, We see all, uh, this is when uh, Charlie Sheen has his first letter that he writes to his grandma. There's some fucking fantastic quotes. He says to her, uh, hell is the impossibility of reason. That's what this place feels like. And then about the jungle being so thick, he goes, a goot could be standing right in front of me and I wouldn't even know it. Because he talks about like, he gets four hours of sleep a night, but you're not really asleep. Um, And then another great quote I thought was, it's scary because nobody tells me how to do anything because I'm new and nobody cares about the new guy. And that's what it is. Everyone's kind of treating him like shit because he he has another quote where he says, uh, basically, they say, if you're going to die in Nam, it's better to get it in your first few weeks. And, the way these soldiers view new guys is they're just not worth anything till they have their time in. So they don't even want to know your name. So we see that, you know, Taylor's kind of struggling to, uh, to fit in. Uh, we get another scene, it's Barnes and Elias, and we were introduced to the Lieutenant in this movie. I can't remember his name, but I mean, a Lieutenant is a Lieutenant in the military. I mean, he just gets no fucking respect. And we start seeing like the politics of everything. So
1: why is that? Did he go to like school to get his position?
0: Yeah. So basically this isn't the case with every officer, but most officers are not enlisted guys first. They just go to an officer school. So a lot of times this is one of the, I mean, I won't talk about this like I'm an expert on the military, but one of the problems is you have guys like Barnes and Elias who have done crazy shit. I mean, and Barnes does not give a fuck. He
1: does not respect this guy.
0: And that's what you see in the military too, because a lot of times these officers are recruited straight out of college and they go through some program in college. And the next thing you know, they're overseas and they're giving fucking orders to someone like Barnes. And he even says to Barnes after this meeting, because Barnes is <laughs> kind of giving the orders. He's like, Elias, you're, you're on point, whatever. Oh no, he's on uh, ambush duty. He's like, you're on ambush duty. He's like, that's bullshit. I've already been on ambush duty. He's like, you know, fuck off. And we see the Lieutenant approach Barnes after he's like, I think it's better if uh, I give the orders to the men. And Barnes says nothing. And that's when you should be scared of Barnes when he says nothing. <laughs> Cause there's a few times he's asked things in this and he just, he ignores silent. it. Yeah. yeah. He just kind of goes, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we see that we see some more struggles between Barnes and Elias. And we start getting that, uh, this fucking Lieutenant just, has no fucking authority around here. He has no dick to wave. Uh, So again, uh, they're back out in the jungle uh, and they're taking watch duty. Um, Basically, one guy's got to stay up and watch the perimeter and, you know, in case enemies are coming, he's the one who sets off the claymores. So we see Taylor. He wakes up again. He's got ants and just like fucked up bug bites. His face is all fucked up. And then he wakes up a character named Junior who will play a big part in, in the movie. You know, he's like, oh, it's your watch now. Junior falls asleep. Taylor wakes up because he's being eaten to shit by these uh, ants, and he starts looking in the jungle. He's got a weird feeling, and he starts seeing Charlie. Uh, starts seeing Charlie, and they're moving right towards him, and he's just frozen in fear. And Charlie Sheen plays it so perfectly because this where he's at right now is so different from where he's at at the end of the movie. I mean, he is literally watching these guys with. I mean, they're gonna kill him,
1: and, and he, he doesn't know what he's to do.
0: Frozen does not know what to do. There's even a great little moment where um, the car- the first guy he sees, and he's only he's kind of in the shadows. It almost looks like he's waving straight at Charlie Sheen, but he's really just calling the other guys. But it's scary because from Charlie's uh, Charlie Sheen's I should say Taylor's perspective. Uh, it's like he's literally waving at him. Like, yeah. that's frightening. You yeah. know what I mean? Just to see that Like, image. I'm about to come kill you. And so this guy's getting closer and closer. Someone else must have spotted something. Someone else who was on watch duty somewhere else. Claymores go off. Shit hits the fan. And we should say this, about I think there's probably three or four battle scenes in this movie, like firefights. They're not like other war movies. They're not exciting in any way. No. They are stressful. Anxiety inducing. Because Oliver Stone gets the chaotic nature of... And he he talked about this, too. um, On that Joe Rogan episode, he talked about being in Vietnam because he just wrote a book about, uh, I mean, his whole life, but mainly about his experience in Vietnam. And he said Vietnam was a scary place because half the time... Because you couldn't see anything, half the time when you're shooting, you don't even know what you're hitting. You could be hitting another, uh, like, one of your guys. Because it's it's just that discombobulating and I don't think any other movies really gotten it right as far as firefights, because this does them in a way where it's like, you can see how confusing and stressful it is because there's just shit going off half the time. You don't even know what's going on, but he's not inducing that through like quick edits and bullshit. He's just showing what it's like. So they make it through this. uh, They lose Gardner. Gardner, who we should should have said, he's the other new guy who comes in with Taylor. Yeah,
1: which is impactful.
0: Yeah, they're they're kind of together. He even shows him a picture of his girlfriend. He's mm-hmm. like fat Midwest girlfriend. He's like you got a you got a girl at home. And Taylor's like no. He's like oh well. He's like a positive guy. Yeah. yeah well, at least some unlucky girl back home. And uh, we see them too. Like before this happens, Elias kind of you know he's going through their packs. And he's like don't take this, don't take this. So he's kind of taking them under his wing. Yeah. And Gardner dies. Taylor's also hit, but it's a it kind of... It scrapes his neck. Yeah, it's a minor graze, but he thinks he's dying. Yes. He just goes, I'm hit. And he, like, passes out again. And when the medic's with him, you, you can tell, like, nothing's really happening. But he's like, be honest with me, Doc, am I dying? <laughs> so Gardner dies. Junior immediately starts talking about how it's not his fault. It was, uh, was uh, Taylor's shift. He's the one who fell asleep. And Barnes is pissed off at Taylor. Calls him like shit for brains. And but uh, one question I was going to ask you when Barnes is because he goes, oh, what does he say about Gardner? He actually says something about him. He goes, <laughs> Gardner just died. He's laying on the ground. And when this firefight's over, Barnes looks around. And he goes, now I want you all to look at this lump of shit right here. <laughs> 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 this poor guy who just died. He's like, look at this lump of shit. This is what happened when you catch Z's in the jungle. And uh, but I was going to ask you because he does say he he's basically blaming Taylor because Junior's like one of his guys. We get the feeling this platoon is split into to sort of two groups. There's like the guys who are with Elias and the guys who are with Barnes. But when he's giving Taylor shit, he looks directly at Junior. So I think Barnes knows Junior fell asleep because Barnes is a smart enough guy to know whose shift it was. And he knows his men. But he still protects Junior. Because mm-hmm. like they say in the movie, they say it again and again, politics, man. Fucking politics. And I think Elias knows too. Elias doesn't say anything directly about it. But when he says who has to carry Gardner, he picks Junior and someone else. But even Elias knows that for some reason in his head there's still a feeling that you shouldn't call out someone who has more time in. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they both knew?
1: I think they they both knew. Yeah. I think I think both Elias and Barnes both knew, but since Taylor's the new guy, he was taking the shit.
0: Yeah, cuz shit rolls downhill. Yeah, exactly. Um so basically after this um Taylor did have an injury, so he goes to the hospital for a couple weeks, and then we catch up when he's coming back. And uh, he runs into Keith David, the actor. I think Keith David's character's name was King. King, yeah. King, yeah, yeah. He runs into King. King's like, oh, how's it going? And uh, Barnes' dudes come up. One's O'Neill, who's played by John C. McGinley. Who's He's great
1: in this movie.
0: <laughs> he's so greasy. <laughs> he's basically just up. I mean, he's up Barnes' ass, but Barnes gets off on Vietnam. O'Neill really wants to go home. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the vibe you get.
0: He thinks being up Barnes' ass will get him home sooner. Yeah. But he's, uh, you know, he's kind of like, uh, I guess if Barnes, I, I don't know what his rank was. I guess if Barnes was, Barnes is probably like an E6 or an E7. So O'Neill's probably like an E5, like a sergeant. Um, so uh, King and, and Taylor, they get assigned cleaning the shitters. And this is where, Taylor, it's almost like getting shot and fucking up, which he didn't fuck up, but he still got the shit for fucking up. That kind of gets him in the good graces of the guys. Like now he's one of the guys because he's cleaning the shitters and they're talking about life and, you know, smoking a joint. And and, uh, this is when Taylor reveals, which we kind of already knew that he has uh, rich parents and he actually volunteered for Vietnam because these guys are counting down their days because, again, like prison they well prison, I guess you make.
1: They a know it down to the day when because they'll say how much. Yeah, they many say days like days
0: they have left. Like King goes, I think he says he has thirty something days, and then this other guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but he goes like, oh yeah, I just broke a hundred, and they're like Taylor, how much time you guys like three twenty, and they're like, oh, I can't even remember my three hundreds, man. And uh, that's when they find out Taylor volunteered, which was very unusual in Vietnam. If you did volunteer, Oliver Stone
1: did the same thing.
0: Oliver Stone did the exact same thing. If you were going to volunteer, you would not volunteer for infantry. And usually people in Vietnam, because National Guard and Army Reserves weren't really utilized overseas back then, like they are now, you would volunteer for one of those to get out of going to Vietnam. So that's what a lot of people did. So he he even says something. He goes, uh, they're like, why the fuck did you do that? And he's like, well, you know, I figured it wasn't fair that all the poor kids have to fight the war. And King... Oh, go ahead. Because
1: that's that's the vibe. It's like uh, he does this uh, voiceover at one point. Where, oh, yeah, when they're in the jungle. And, and he's he, talking about all the towns that they're from and where they're from. And it's basically the lowest rungs of society of poor yeah, white and poor black guys. Which
0: is very true of the military even today, I would say. But, uh, yeah, he's talking about, like, these are the best guys he's ever seen. Like, they have the most heart, but they're all from towns you've never heard of. And they didn't have a choice. And he had a choice. And I feel like he even says when they go like, why the fuck would you volunteer? And he even kind of shrugs his shoulders like it's almost like he's already growing as a person. Because I'm sure when he did that, he felt very noble about it. And now he's like already feeling like, well, young and dumb. even though he's only probably a few months removed from that decision. And King has a great line after he says, well, why should all the poor kids have to go fight? He goes, shit you got to be rich just to have that thought, <laughs> <laughs> which is a,
1: it's true. It's yeah, like, it that's true. a,
0: that's a, you're not wrong Walter moment. Yeah. You know what I mean,
1: well, uh, I, I'm a really big fan of Keith David. He, a uh, little trivia. He did the sixth uh, and final season of community. Oh,
0: did he? Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't know he was on that. He's mm-hmm. kind of, he's one of those guys who's in everything. Yeah. Oh, I should say another small actor who pops up force Whitaker. He's in it too. Yeah, yeah. God damn, there's so many big people in this movie. Even the guy who plays the lieutenant, I've seen him pop up before too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so basically Taylor's in with the crowd now. And they go- He's uh,
1: with the heads.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say too, uh, I'll jump back real quick. Uh, when he comes back from the hospital, because music's really important in this movie, they play White Rabbit. Yes. So I just wanted to-
1: And sense. then uh, Tracks of My
0: Tears. That's what's next, because then Taylor gets invited to- they call it the the underworld. The underworld, I think, yep. right? Which is basically where like Elias and you know his little pop. They smoke weed. They and- smoke weed. Like Elias has a great scene. He uh he comes up and this is Taylor's first time smoking weed and he puts a shotgun to his head. He says, <laughs> Put your mouth around this. <laughs> and he basically just blows into the shotgun. I mean he's just taking a hit off.
1: Were they doing opium, dude? Was that with the long
0: I, yeah, I think that was opium. Yeah. Because opium was, I think opium was big in Vietnam and then weed, obviously. And then some dudes did. Heroin was also big, but we don't really get a glimpse of that here.
1: Another bit of trivia for you. So it shows Barnes' gang, they're playing cards, drinking. Yeah,
0: it's basically switching back and forth from these two sides, how they're spending their night.
1: And they play Okie from Muskogee by uh, oh. Merle Haggard. Yeah, this takes place in 1967. That song didn't come out till 1969. Oh, wow. That's a good piece of trivia. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, they cut to uh,
0: they're just cutting back and forth between like you're seeing the difference between Barnes's world and Elias's world because Elias's world, they're smoking weed. They're having fun. They're listening to music. You cut to Barnes's group, and you know, they're just in one of the barracks, they're playing cards,
1: just drinking. And Junior's the only black guy in there, so it's it's also mm-hmm. very racially divided. Because, like, yeah. Elias's crew, it's everybody, and they're all hanging out. And there's, there's like a lot you can tell there's a lot of love there, yeah, but not like the just the environments themselves. Like, they, in the underworld, they had lights strung up, yeah, it's they, a party,
0: it's a I party, mean, it's a party. Um. And Junior Junior's actually interesting now that you mentioned that cuz he is the only I could be wrong but yeah I guess he is the only
1: the only black guy on Barnes's crew.
0: Yeah, which he explains at one point. I think he says at one point he's sticking with Barnes cuz he thinks Barnes will keep him alive. Mhm. Cuz Junior we we get after a while I mean Junior's looking out for Junior. Yeah. Um but yeah, actually to mention Junior, uh the first scene we see in in Barnes's uh little barrack area. He's talking to, I can't remember his name, but it's Kevin, Kevin Dillon's character. Who's Bunny. Like, is it buddy? Bunny. 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 Is that it? Yes. Oh yeah. Cause he wears the, he's got the um the little rabbit's tail mm-hmm. on the back of his helmet. He's just this dumb guy from the South and uh, they're just talking to each other. Junior clearly doesn't like him, but Bunny just keeps talking to him. He has a great line where they're talking about smoking weed and Bunny's never done it. He's like, Oh yeah. Like just makes you feel weird and shit. Right. I get that. And then they're talking about shit they like. He goes, "What about a piece of pussy, man? Nothing like a piece of pussy, except maybe the Indy 500." Which I thought that's a great fucking line. Very white trash. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're we're in the barracks. Lieutenant comes in again. We see how fucking awkward he is. He can't fit in with the guys. Which I'll say this: I have a very I have a very limited experience in the military, but this is basically the relationship of lieutenants. To their guys. Some get out of it. And and not all of them are. Seen as like rich. Like college kids. Because some of them do start as enlisted guys. And then they switch over. But normally if you see. A lieutenant. It's a butter bar. That's what they call them. Because that's their rank. It's a little gold line. They call them butter bar. Because that's how you just don't take them seriously. So he's trying to hang out with these guys. He leaves almost immediately. O'Neill has a great. Line he goes to Barnes. Barnes' first name is Bob. He goes, "What do you say, Bob? Think he's gonna make it?" Again, Barnes says nothing. Always a bad sign when Barnes says nothing to you. And then uh, <laughs> O'Neill goes, "Yep, yep." Had the exact same thought. Sometimes I look at a guy, I just know this guy ain't gonna make it. Which is it almost foreshadows O'Neill later because <laughs> O'Neill's journey in this movie is maybe the funniest. This guy like, just has the, he, I mean, spoilers, he lives, but he has the worst goddamn
1: life. <laughs> uh, dude, yeah. He's just continually shit on. He's, it, uh... And even when they had to go out for patrol and it wasn't O'Neill's crew, Barnes the... still still sends him out.
0: Yep, because he goes, uh, I remember he's he's all smiles because uh, Elias is getting uh, ambush duty. And I think it was supposed to be O'Neill's turn with his crew, but he goes, uh. Because Elias goes, no, 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 no. It's O'Neal's turn. He's like, ah, ah, I got two guys on R&R in two days. You want to send them into the jungle so some new guys can get some fucking Zs? And he thinks he won. He's like smiling when Elias gets the duty. And Barnes goes, O'Neal, you're out there, too. I need experience, man. And he's just like, he has the same look every time he gets fucked. He's like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, basically after this, uh, Taylor comes back in the hospital. We get the party scenes. (sighs) <sighs> Lieutenant can't fit in. Uh, then we're back on the move. I mean, this is the thing. It's it's just basically walking through the jungle. Run through the jungle. They should have played some Credence in this, yeah. right? Where was the Credence song? <laughs> Which I guess by then was already cliche. So I'm, I'm, I should probably be happy they didn't do it. Um, but yeah, basically, I mean, we just keep going. There's scenes and then they're on the move in the jungle. So they're on the move. They're marching. Um, this is when... This is the big turning point in the movie for me. This movie doesn't even have, I would actually say, you could say this movie has a three-act structure, but it doesn't have a normal three-act structure. Because basically after this scene, you're at the end. Yeah. And there's still an hour to go in this
1: its movie. It's like very stream of consciousness. Where you're just kind of like going through the jungle, back at camp, going through the jungle, back at camp. You're in Taylor's
0: routine and you keep hearing him. He'll go back to like writing letters to his grandma and you can see he's just getting broken down like more and more. And this is still when, this is also when we see Taylor doesn't hate Barnes at this point. He really respects Barnes and he respects Elias, I think. But there's already a struggle between which one is he more like? Which one is he going to learn more from, Mm -hmm. you know? So, basically, uh, they come across a tunnel. We find out Elias is, they called it a tunnel rat back in Vietnam. Guys who, because what the Vietnamese would do, the well, the Viet Cong, I'm sorry. They would set up underground tunnels, and that's how they would sneak attack people. Or, like, set up bombs or whatever. But the tunnels were really, really small. And so, not everyone could do it. And you had to be a crazy motherfucker. Because you're going in there with a fucking, they'll hand you a fucking Glock and be like, Pff good luck yeah because you're just running through that fucking tunnel like if anyone's seen the the rambo movies um you find out he's a tunnel rat and then he's obsessed with like digging tunnels the rest of his life so we see uh they come across this tunnel they're kind of at like an abandoned it looks like an abandoned like Viet Cong station and uh elias of course tunnel rat i think they say he's he has four years in vietnam he gets in there. He runs into a guy, shoots him. We see a couple other guys. Oh, we should also say they can't find one guy, Manny. They can't find Manny at this point. These other two guys are going through what looks like a little makeshift base. Um, and they're looking at what they think are like maps. And they're like, oh, this is important. It's a bomb. It's a trap. They blow the fuck Booby up. trap. They're dead. So we also find someone finds Manny. Manny is put against a tree. He's killed. He has like a note on him. So it's not, this is the thing about Manny because when Manny dies, Stone has a great moment because when other people die, it's a big moment, but it's normal so they can process it. Like those two guys getting blown up. It sucks, but they can process it because it's like, this is war. This is what happens. When Manny dies, it's different because he he's disrespected in a way. Did he kill himself? No, the Viet Cong killed him. Yeah, oh, okay. Because he's like strung up on a tree and his like throat's cut. Yeah. And he's got the note on him. So, I mean, he, they turned killing him into a sport, which now these guys are seeing that. And I think they can all accept, like, yeah, maybe I'll get it in the jungle or I'll blow up. Because
1: it. it does this slow pan across the whole. You see
0: all their faces. All the platoon. And Taylor has a great line because they know there's a village nearby. And they think the village is helping the Viet Cong or the Viet Cong are hiding in the village. And Taylor, at this point, is full Barnes. He's got a hard-on for Barnes. And he goes, he was our... I think he says he was our Captain Ahab. He was going to get us revenge. Because they know Barnes will do... Because Elias and Barnes' group, they're separated at this point. Taylor's with Barnes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they know he'll do what's necessary. Because they want death. I mean, this is just... This next scene is out of control testosterone oh yeah they go into this village and they are fucking it up now maybe some of these people are the Vietnam War is weird the Vietnam War is kind of similar to the wars in the Middle East right now because you're fighting a war on someone else's turf you're not fighting a war with like a traditional military so everyone you meet you don't know if they're the enemy you know what I mean and similarly to the wars right now if you kill one guy who's not Viet Cong, his whole family is going to be Viet Cong. Just like the Taliban. You have one collateral damage or you make one wrong decision, you just help the Taliban. Which is why Vietnam, they they actually discuss it later, so we'll discuss it then. But we we get the feeling that Barnes thinks it's a winnable war. Elias knows. It's not. It's not a winnable war. So they're in this village. Uh, they're fucking people up. No, and nobody speaks. They have Johnny Depp pops up. He's the uh, translator. translator.
1: You can this tell is him. like his big
0: scene. Yeah, this is, it's pretty much this. And maybe he has like a couple other scenes. But it was still kind of cool to see. Where, him.
1: where was Johnny Depp's career at this point? Was he big or was this?
0: No, this might have. I think this was also before 21 Jump Street. Which was when he had his first Tango really? of Fame. Yeah. And then, I mean, he didn't become like. Johnny Depp until Edward Scissorhands, which Edward Scissorhands was probably... What's Eating Gilbert Grape? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? So I guess he had a name, but he wasn't Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yet. Especially, I mean, you're taking this small... He wasn't
1: A-list yet.
0: No, 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 no. Um. So yeah, they're fucking up this village. Uh, You know, Barnes is running around like, where are they? Where are the guns? Like, he's just convinced already. He's not giving these people a chance. We see Taylor goes a little bit crazy.
1: He goes crazy like Barnes. And
0: he, and this is almost foreshadows later in the last battle. I'll mention it then, but I'll say, I think Taylor has a lot in, I he's very much, I would say he's more like Barnes than Elias at the end. They're very, very similar. Which, Interesting. Which I guess I won't get too deep on that. We'll talk about that. But
1: it, let's part. talk about what happens though. That kind of. So he, uh, they're all going through these different huts, you know, they're, you
0: know, hitting people and setting fires and shit. And Taylor goes into this one hut and this guy's hiding and he's telling him like, come out, come out. And he's, uh, I can't remember the,
1: Hey motherfucker.
0: Yeah. Get out of here. I can He even says like the Vietnam word for, you know, get out or whatever he's saying. This guy's like a one legged, he looks like he's deaf too. I
1: think, I think he's like, retarded or something like that yeah that's the vibe you get
0: because you can tell he can't he's not even responding to taylor he's not he's not able to process it you know and taylor you almost see his frustration in the scene because at one point when he finally gets this guy out because this guy's like hiding underground there's an old woman in there too who i assume is the guy's mother taylor is frustrated it's not a re, it's not a it's not a frustration based on anything logical but it is one you can empathize with because he's saying to this guy, why the fuck didn't you just come out? Why the fuck didn't you just come out? Like he's frustrated with this guy, mm-hmm. but he thinks he's frustrated with the guy. He's really frustrated with Vietnam. Yeah. Cause he, he's in an impossible situation. You can't fucking talk to these people. No. You don't know who's
1: your enemy. And the guy is, he has mentally something going on he, cause, too. Cause he doesn't even respond in
0: Vietnamese. The no. whole woman's screaming. Um, Bunny comes in. Well,
1: before that, he starts shooting the ground and telling oh, you yeah, to goes, dance
0: dance motherfucker dance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this one legged guy is just hopping up and, and down. even uh fucking, uh, O'Neal is like, yo, yes, oh, yeah, this is not okay.
0: Bunny and O'Neal come in. Even O'Neal is like, this is too fucked up for me. Cause he keeps saying to, he's like, let's get out of here. Let's just pretend nothing happened.
1: It, uh, Taylor starts crying. Yeah. Cause Taylor's clearly before, before what happens Bunny, even happens.
0: Yeah. So bunny's in there too. He's encouraging Taylor. He's like, yeah, do him. Oh, he goes, uh, (laughs) the guy is not doing anything. And Bunny goes, (laughs) he's whispering in Taylor's ear. He's like, he's laughing at you. That's how the gook laughs, man. He's laughing at you. (laughs) Like, just egging him on. Taylor starts to break down and fucking, you know, Bunny's like, what are you, a fucking pussy? And then he kills this guy. He caves his head in with his gun. And there's
1: just blood splattering on him and on yeah, Taylor
0: yeah we don't see the guy O'Neal starts crying yeah because O'Neill's like what the fuck um Taylor can barely watch it and we don't see the guy's head get caved no. we just see the reaction and we also see Bunny is disconnected from reality he's
1: a sociopath because
0: his next line he's looking it's almost like he's fascinated like he's on a beach like looking at a jellyfish like a kid or something he's like wow you see his fucking head come apart man I never seen brains like that before And then he's on a high because he looks at the old woman and he goes, fuck him. Let's do, let's fucking do her and do this whole fucking village, man. Like he is gone. And O'Neal's like shaking in his boots. He's like, let's just get out of here, bunny. Let's just just (laughs) pretend nothing ever happened. (laughs) So uh, basically we cut out of there and Barnes has the elder of this village, I guess. And he's, I mean, he's fucking him up. And he takes his wife, and he starts, like, threatening her. He's just, it's chaos. Yeah. Because he's like, where are the guns? Where are the guns? He just, he's convinced this guy's Viet Cong. And all these guys around him, again, they can't think straight. Like, it's just pure testosterone. Because they're they're saying the same shit Bunny did. They're like, let's burn this fucking, let's just take out this whole fucking village. Barnes is getting frustrated because this guy's not answering him. Because he keeps going, He fucking understands me. He fucking understands me. Points the fucking gun at his wife. Boom. Shot through the head. Yeah. And the lieutenant's here, by the way, too. No control of the situation. No. Barnes is in charge. Shoots the woman in the head. Straight fucking murder. Then grabs the guy's daughter. Who? A little girl. Can't be more than six, seven. Puts the fucking gun to her head. He is about to kill a child. He doesn't give up. Fuck. this is a man who is just lost in the sauce. He is about to fucking murder this child. And the guy clearly can't answer him. No,
1: I don't think they were part of the Viet Cong.
0: And there's some, I should have wrote the line down, but I think he does keep saying a Vietnamese word. It's like La Joy or something. Do you remember that? He keeps just repeating it. Like <laughs> I don't know what it means, but uh, anyway, so this chaos is happening and Elias shows up.
1: Elias is pissed. And Elias
0: is like, what the fuck is going on here? Elias and Barnes just get into a straight up fist fight. And I mean,
1: Elias comes at him and like just yeah.
0: jumps him. And uh, there's a great line too. Cause after they get separated and you know, you see again, the the disconnect between the platoon, because some of them are like, they almost want Barnes to kill Elias. And then someone Elias to kill Barnes. Like this is a very fractured platoon. Um, and then after they get broken up, Elias, instead of talking to Barnes, well, he does say to Barnes in the heat of it, he's like, you're, you're going down for this. Like, I'm, you're going to fucking Leavenworth.
1: And this, this seems like it's not the the first time something, he's but I, probably heard whispers of something like this happening with but Barnes. But I think
0: this is the most extreme. Yeah. And it's just something you can't look away from. Yeah. And he looks, there's a great line, he looks at the lieutenant and he goes, lieutenant, why the fuck didn't you do anything? Just calls him out for the fucking dickless pussy he is so this is over the lieutenant takes barnes aside he's like nothing happened We're, because he's afraid because he goes you know captain called in we have orders burn this village down take every guy who's of fighting age they're now pow's and then we see they're burning this fucking village to the ground and then they just march out leaving this destruction behind
1: It's a hard scene. It's a fucked well scene, man. And not only that, uh, Taylor comes off to the side and they're raping these girls. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yep.
0: So they're and they're not even raping women. They're raping children. Yeah. And this is where Taylor, I think, is starting to realize who he is because he couldn't go through with shooting that guy. He, so he knows he's not like Bunny. He stops it from happening and he says, and what Bu- the fuck are you doing? Yeah.
1: These are human beings. These are human beings, man. <laughs> and
0: then uh, Bunny goes, because of course Bunny's one of the people fucking raping them. Of course. like." And he goes, what are you, a
1: homosexual, Taylor? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Taylor, uh, he, again, a great line. He's like, you just don't fucking get it, man. You just don't fucking get it. <laughs> And uh, we see Elias uh, sees Taylor do this. So I think Elias, I I, I don't know. What do you think Elias' reaction is? Because he knows Taylor was part of this shit that went down. And he doesn't quite know who Taylor is yet.
1: So I think that's the scene where he knows who he is. Okay. Okay. You think like he's looking at him with certainty, like, all right, I know. He's one of us. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so because he, he, he broke it up. And, like, even the taste that Taylor had with, like, he, he I think, even in his head, Taylor thought he was going to kill that one legged Vietnamese guy. I think guy, so too, but, but he couldn't, goes, he he couldn't, couldn't bring himself
0: to it. Yeah, he couldn't do
1: it. Um, and, he, and he figured out in that scene that he's not mm-hmm. with Barnes. I think he figured out he's with Elias in the heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I,
0: I actually want to go back to, there's a couple other lines I like. Well, I can't even explain why I like this one, but uh, maybe it's Tom Berger's delivery. We should talk about Tom Berger more because they put like scarring on his face. Yeah. And they did a great job because sometimes you'll see him like fuck up an actor's face and you can tell it's makeup. This looks like Tom Berger was in the fucking war. Yeah. I mean, he looks fucked up and he says to Elias cause Elias shows up. He's like, what the fuck's going on? he goes, uh, Stay out of this, Elias. This ain't your show. <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck? This is all just theater to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to him, it, it's not about who's moral and who's not. He's just like, this is my show. Who are I'm you? in charge. Who yeah. are you to interrupt me? And he, he also, we should say, he says to Elias when they're done fighting, he goes, you're dead, Elias. You're dead. So he threatens him. We see how real that fucking threat is. So, after this, uh, they basically, they're talking to their captain about what happened. And the captain's not really interested. He's like, once we're done with our shit here, we're going to we talk. Once we get back to base camp. Yeah, he's like, we're going to talk about it. Now, what that means is, the second Barnes gets back to base camp, he's fucked. Because if Elias tells that story, and even one guy, who the one guy could be Taylor, confirms it, he's going to Leavenworth the rest of his fucking life. Because he straight up murdered somebody. Yeah. Um, so we see that, uh, Barnes has another great line. Cause O'Neill's freaking out like he always does. He's like, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Bob? And he goes, eh, last a water walker. <laughs> <laughs> like those politicians only in Washington. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No place for poli- uh, no, no place for politicians in the nom. And, uh, only Barnes could compare someone to Jesus and it would be an insult. That is how fucked up this guy's head is. Yeah. Because Water Walker, he's very clearly calling him. He's like a Jesus guy. And it's an insult. This is his way of insulting somebody. Barnes is lost. He's too far gone, which we'll see later. Uh, So then they're back on the move. Uh, We do get a scene with Taylor and Elias. So this is where you're probably right. Elias sees who Taylor is because they're talking. um, It's at night. And they're talking and...
1: Looking up at the stars. Yeah. And talking that, about life. This is when Elias says this is an unwinnable war. And uh, Taylor asks him... Because Taylor's asking him about that. And he says... Uh, he's like, do you still believe it? And he says, no, I believed in it three years ago.
0: Yeah, he goes like, yeah, maybe like three years ago. So probably when he first got to country. Um. Another great line here. Well, I, I should say when he says... He goes, uh, you know, America's been kicking ass for 50 years. Probably about time we got our ass kicked, which this is where I went. This is how I view Barnes and Elias. And this is true of not just war. This is true of life in general. These are always the two forces that are fighting, whether it's a political issue or a cultural issue. Barnes is the past and Elias is the future. Barnes is a little too behind the times. Elias is a little too ahead of the times. And then Taylor's caught in the middle. Exactly. Because what Elias says is technically, like if we hear that today, that'd be a normal thing to say. Back then, if you're saying that about America, you're a little too far ahead. You're a little too... You're thinking on a on a, a level that other people aren't thinking on. And Barnes, we see is... I mean, he's sold on this war. If America tells him to go fucking kill somebody, kill him. They're all That's guilty. It, without question. And Elias also talks about in this scene... He goes, uh, I like this place at night, which is kind of, I don't know. You see how Zen Elias really is here. Cause even when he says it's an unwinnable war, he's not even saying it in a way where he's like, he's, he's teaching a lesson or he's, he's having emotional turmoil over it. He says it with such peace. Like I've already made peace with it. You know, just, he's just serving his time. It just is what it is. So that's a great scene. Um, uh, another, Taylor, we see again, he's at a crossroads. He goes, uh, this is narration. He goes, I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. This is when they're back on the move. Now, when they're back on the move, another firefight breaks out. They get attacked. They're basically being ambushed. We see the lieutenant, Elias, and Barnes talking. And uh, Elias says, let me take a couple men. Basically, he wants to go off on his own to make sure they don't get flanked or to prevent a full ambush. And the lieutenant's like a f- dumbass, like he always is. He's like, oh, I don't know about that. And he does it anyway. Taylor wants to go with Elias. And he, well, he does go with Elias out first. He sets um, Taylor and a couple other guys up. He's like, stay here, whatever comes through. Uh, whatever he said he moves quicker on his own. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go out on my own because I move quicker on my own. Taylor wants to go with him. This is where Elias basically signs his death certificate. The second, and this is Elias's problem. Always trying to do it alone. That's why he dies. Spoilers. So uh, anyway, uh, Taylor gets into a quick firefight. He's shooting people and another guy dies. Um, The guy before, he's like a surfer guy. He's the guy before he was cleaning the shitters. With. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, or no, I don't know if he dies. He just gets hit. And that's when Barnes shows up because they're retreating. Oh, we should say first before this, the lieutenant calls in the wrong fucking coordinates for the bombs. His own guys are getting bombed. And then Barnes is like, basically fucking punches him. It's like, what fucking coordinates did you give him? So he takes control of the situation, gives them the right coordinates. They're now, they have to get out of this jungle because this jungle's about to get fucking nuked, which was their favorite fucking thing in Vietnam to do, just drop bombs. And this is another thing Oliver Stone talks about. He talks about, this is why Vietnam was a losing strategy because you would just have men taking ground... They would lose it, they'd bomb the area, then they'd move in again. It was just an unwinnable situation. There was no strategy to it. They just wanted it to look like they were taking as much land as possible. Um, so then Barnes is like, I'm going to go get Elias. Runs into Taylor. He's He says, you know, get out of here. Take your, your wounded man. I'm going to get Elias. Again, Taylor goes, let me come with you. And he's like, God damn it, Taylor, I gave you an order. He gets out of there. Now Barnes is looking for Elias alone. Comes across Elias. This is where there's a great scene. I want to get your thoughts on how Willem Dafoe plays this because Willem Dafoe, he's, you know, he's killing a few people, then he's in the jungle, and he spots Barnes in front of him. And Barnes is looking right at him. And he's pointing his M sixteen or M4. No, I think back then it wasn't M sixteen. Uh, I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, he's pointing his M16 at him. There's a point. It is said earlier. Somebody says, I think Bunny says it, or O'Neil says it, somebody should frag his ass, which is basically friendly fire. I don't know if Barnes knows if he has it in him to kill Elias out first because he does have a moment of hesitation, and Elias has this look. He almost smiles. Well, he does smile. It's almost like he has the thought like, oh, shit, Barnes is going to kill me. But then he's almost laughing it off, like that would never happen. But this is completely silent; they don't say anything to each other. And it's right after he smiles, it's almost like that's when Barnes is like, "I'm killing this motherfucker," because that's when he 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 puts his his eye down on the sights and he blasts this motherfucker away. Three shots. So I'm thinking, what what do you think about that little exchange between them? Am I reading too much into it? Do you think he he knew he was going to kill? I the think lies? he knew he was going to kill him because. But did he have it in him? Did he know he had it in him? Cuz this I, is dark for even Barnes. This is killing a fellow soldier. It is, but this is also a man who's willing to kill a child. I would still say in Barnes's world, killing a child cuz he viewed that child as an enemy would still be less fucked up than killing someone in uniform.
1: But Elias is all he also sees Elias as the enemy and he can justify it in his own head. Because he's going to break break down the platoon and potentially fuck things up. Well, and I Barnes think, thinks he's needed out there.
0: And you, one could argue, he is needed. I'm not saying I'm, I agree with that, but you can make the argument. That's what I think is going through his head, though. He's having a moment where he has to see Elias as the enemy, and the second Elias smiles at him, he's like, "Fuck you," and he straight up kills him. So then uh, we see this: uh, all the guys there. At this spot where they're getting evac there's a helicopter there to pick him up. Taylor drops off this wounded guy and runs straight back into the jungle. He's going to get Elias. So we know he, now he, he, he has some connection to Elias. Runs into Barnes and he goes, where's Elias?
1: Elias is dead. Elias
0: is dead. And just says, he's for sure dead. And he asks him, like, you're sure? He's like,
1: God damn it, yes. Get out of here. And he's like, we got to go back and get the body then.
0: Barnes doesn't want to do that. There's no time because the bombs are coming. Yeah. So they all run back to the the helicopter. Now, when they're in the helicopter, this is where the most iconic scene of the movie happens. This was the fucking poster. As they're flying off, we see Willem Dafoe running, running. the jungle. And it's a fucked up shot, too. They got a great overhead shot because you see Willem Dafoe running. And all the Viet Cong running you behind see, him. Like, it looks like a hundred men are running behind him. And, and he's, he's just booking it with bullet wounds. Booking it. Yeah, because he's got three bullet wounds at yeah. this point. Now, the second people see him, they're like, holy shit, he's he's alive. The LT's ordering the helicopter to go down. But, I mean, they're, they're, there's no time at this point. And we watch Elias. He starts getting shot by the Viet Cong, and he has his big Jesus moment. And his hands are up in the air, and he falls, falls to, to his, his knees, knees. Just getting shot again and again and again. little behind-the-scenes fact for this the blood squibs on his body, uh, he actually had the control in his hand and he was setting them off. So he said they did the scene like twice and he would have to set them off. But when he actually threw his hands in the air, that was, I think that was his idea because Oliver Stone was like, play it however you want to play it. And he said the only reason his hands were in the air like that was because he had this thing, this little uh, clicker that he was setting off the blood squibs and he knew they were going to go to a wide shot and he had to throw the clicker. So he was like, if my hand's got to go this way, I'll just, you know, throw my other hand this way and it'll look like, you know, I'm getting shot. And and but now that scene's so fucking iconic because it's the Jesus scene. Yeah. You know, now there's a great moment on the helicopter. Taylor looks straight at Barnes and he knows he lied. And Barnes knows that he knows. Exactly. It's a that's a that is played really well, too. Because we do get a hint of, there's almost a gleam of shame in Barnes's eye. Yeah. Because he thought, I think he thought, if I kill Elias, I can live with it. But other people knowing. Yeah. He can't live with that. Because that immediately implicates him for all the shit that happened too. Well, and just on a moral level. Yeah. Because Barnes, will find out in the next scene, I think Barnes has a lot of, he recognizes what a monster he is. And he finds ways to justify his monstrosity. To cope with it. And the way he would have coped with Elias is I'll live with it. And no one will ever know. You know what I mean? So then the next scene.
1: We're at the fucking
0: Barnes Beach.
1: Only Bonds can kill Bonds.
0: Yeah, so they're back at the uh they're in the underworld, all Elias' guys. Taylor's like, we should go frag his ass right now. And there's a character, I, I can't remember this character's name, but he, he's important too. He's the guy who's always smoking the opium. And he goes, uh, listen here and listen good. Bond's been shot seven times and Bond ain't dead. That mean anything to you? <laughs> Only thing that killed Bond's is Bond's. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my second favorite line of the movie. So then... We get, uh, we just hear a far off voice. Y'all talking about killing. (laughs) (laughs) Barnes comes in holding the Jack Daniels bottle. He's clearly drank by himself. Walks in. He's just stumbling around. He's like, y'all experts. Hmm? Y'all know about killing. He's just walking through this room and he's like, uh, I like to hear about it, Potheads. And that's my favorite line of the movie. It's a great line. And then he picks up a pipe and uh from someone who's holding it and he takes a little puff. He goes, Y'all smoke this shit so you can escape from reality. Then this is where we get my favorite line of the movie. He exhales, he just leans against a railing and he goes, Me, I don't need this shit. I am reality. You cannot argue with that line. Barnes yeah. really is reality. <laughs> he is undeniable so then he keeps going with this he's like uh, by the way I have recited this speech to myself so much alone in my apartment I'm either insane or impressive I don't know And he goes uh, after he says I'm reality he goes last full shit last uh, crusader now I got no fight for any man does what he's told but when he don't the machine breaks down and when the machine breaks down we break down and I ain't gonna allow that for many of you not one hands the pipe back to somebody they literally spits on Taylor which I've seen this movie probably 20 times I never noticed that I didn't notice that he spits right on him (laughs) fuck you and then he goes uh, well y'all love lies you won't kick ass here I am all by my lonesome. Ain't nobody gonna know. Six of you boys against me. And then he says... The best delivered line in the movie. He goes... Kill me. But he says it with desperation. We're in his voice. This is where we know... Barnes... The reason he is as brave as he is... And he'll just run into a firefight. He wants to die. I think this guy's living with so much... He cannot stand being alive anymore now he says kill me to these guys he explains the odds to them he's like you could do it you could all just fucking kill me right now and they don't do it and it disgusts him I think it disgusts Barnes that he is allowed to exist in the world I think his very existence confirms to him that the world is complete shit the fact that he is the strongest in this room is his confirmation that the world is shit because then when they don't do anything, he, he turns and they turns back. He goes, ah, shit on all of you. On
1: the verge of tears.
0: Yeah. He's mad. So then Taylor attacks him. Taylor obviously gets his ass kicked. Barnes gives him a little little love tap with his knife on his face. And then... Uh,
1: don't they, do it, Barnes. Yeah, don't do it, Barnes.
0: Ten years to give you for killing an enlisted man. Imagine it crawling up the fucking walls. <laughs> Barnes is convinced not to, uh, not to kill Taylor. But then as he's leaving, he turns back again and he goes, death, which you all know about death. This is maybe the best speech in cinema fucking history. I, I agree with that, dude. If I was talking to Oliver Stone, if I had the, the privilege to interview him, This is the only scene I would ever ask him about. I would be like, A, did you write this just once and then never have to rewrite it? Or did you rewrite it a bunch? And B, I would be like, how how much direction did you give Tom Barringer? Because I wonder with some of those lines, a different actor would play it very different. Like the kill me line, the death, which you all know about death. Even the way he says like, I like to hear about it, potheads. How much did, how much... Collaboration did he have on it, and I feel like when they talk about the movie, they always ask like Willem Dafoe about the the, the Jesus scene. They ask about other shit. They never really dig deep on the fucking barn speech. But this speech is, again, to me, I mean, the best fucking speech in cinema history. It's fucking great. I watch it all the time. And when I don't watch the movie, I'll pop it up on YouTube just to see some great writing and some great fucking acting. What do you think of the Barnes speech?
1: I agree with that dude I agree with all that I I just love the whole like scenario of him walking in there I think he has a death wish like Barnes very clearly throughout the whole movie because you see him in firefights everybody else is running around and in chaos he's just like walking at a normal pace Mm -hmm. while there's nothing but gunfire going on around and bombs going off he doesn't give a fuck
0: No, no 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 which we see in the next I won't say scene but Basically, the next section of film is the end of the movie. I mean, even though, again, that's why this is a weirdly structured movie, because what we get next is I think there's still like 40 minutes left or something. So after this speech and yeah, you're right. I love the way he's introducing the scene when you just hear him, but you don't see him. Y'all talking about killing because he's
1: just sitting on those steps. He's drinking straight mm-hmm. from a Jack Daniels bottle. See him.
0: And then you wonder how much did he hear? And he knows, yeah, I think he heard
1: all of it and I think he he
0: knows at this point not only do they all know he killed Elias even his men know he killed Elias. everyone knows yeah Um. so then basically yeah we're at the last section of the movie so this is where they're basically marching back into the jungle uh, Taylor has a, a great line he, he said it felt like we were returning to the scene of a crime again it's his human versus soldier brain working you know because he sees what happened to Elias as a murder. Some of these guys are so fucked up, so wrapped up in Vietnam. They can't see that. So they they march back into the jungle. They're setting up base camp in what looks like the most horrifying military position you could ever have. They are basically in a valley. They don't have enough men. Basically, their little base camp is in this valley. There's hills and jungle all around them. And they're just sending up men. Like, you know, you just go set up in a foxhole and kill whoever shows up because they know the enemy's coming. It is the worst position to be in and they all fucking know it. This is basically... The feeling you get is they all know they're going to die. The lieutenant even says at one point because uh, they give Elias his platoon to... Uh, again, I don't remember his name, but the guy who is like, only thing can kill Bonds is Bonds. They give him his uh, his squad and he's saying something to him like I don't have enough men and the lieutenant looks just defeated at this point he just goes you know honestly I don't give a flying fuck anymore so these guys all kind of know they're gonna die O'Neill who said he has a feeling about people when they're gonna die goes up to Barnes says he has some R&R coming up and he's hoping he can you know skip out go to Hawaii and he goes uh, I gotta be honest with you Bob I got a bad feeling about this one Barnes's response is everybody got to die sometime, <laughs> which at this point you have to understand watching this movie. O'Neill is the closest thing he has to a best friend. Yeah. yeah. And Barnes is not give a fuck. Like that's what you say to your friend. He's basically telling him like, yeah, you'll probably die. All got to die sometime. <laughs> what the fuck? We also see uh, King Keith, David, uh, he gets his orders, he's flying home. He's leaving. And uh he goes and says goodbye to to Taylor. They have a good scene together, you know. He he's basically telling Taylor, like, don't don't think too much. Get out of your head, man. So he leaves and this is where I I mean this is again, this is one of the best battle scenes in any war movie because it is just chaos for the next half hour. It is pure just men chaos. Dying and we we see uh junior again he tries to get out of there too he uh his feet are all fucked up and um <laughs> barnes is looking at his feet and he goes uh oh, i won't say what he actually says cuz it's a little racist but he goes uh junior i catch you putting but uh, i think he says like uh bug repellent he's like junior i catch you putting bug repellent on your feet again i'm going to sh- ship your n ass out of here <laughs> So Junior's got to stay and fight. They're all in, uh, you know, their foxholes. And it's nighttime. It You can see how fucked up it is because basically the setup is these foxholes are holes in the ground with basically like a little kind of wooden um, covering over them. And then you look through it and you can shoot whatever's coming but they don't have enough men. It's a death trap. It is. This is pure death. And we start seeing once shit actually goes down, like bombs are going off and the Viet Cong are actually, um, uh, uh, ambushing and, and invading. We see like Taylor's in his hole with, I think a character named Francis who might be a new guy. Cause I don't think we saw him before. Um, somebody's all bloody and fucked up and he jumps into their foxhole. He's like, we got to get the fuck out of here, man. Cause he was probably in another foxhole uh uh, farther ahead and it got blown to bits so he runs out francis is like what do you say man taylor we we should just get out of here man and taylor's like you go i'm not going i mean he's gone full barns at this point so then again chaos breaks out Taylor's shooting everywhere we see all these other characters they're dying they're getting fucked up and uh taylor eventually they do have to leave the foxhole because like a bomb goes off near him. we even see the base camp gets invaded and The cat, you know the actually the captain doesn't die but oliver stone has a cameo yeah
1: yeah yeah of the hey, he
0: dies he dies some because some Viet Cong guys are just like ah he comes in with a bomb <laughs> just blows it up blows himself up <laughs> and that's when everyone's like fuck yeah that's when like okay we now have no communication with the outside world like we are fucked and uh so yeah, Taylor has to leave his foxhole and we cut back and forth between Taylor and Barnes. And this is where I see so much of Barnes and Taylor because they're basically doing the same thing. They are running through this jungle, fearless shooting, everything that moves. And Taylor, even at one point says to Francis, Francis says something about being scared and Taylor's not even listening. He's like, isn't it fucking beautiful, man? Isn't it fucking beautiful? It's like bombs and shit are going off. Like he's addicted to war at this point. We see some other people, uh, I think Junior dies. Bunny dies. Bunch of people are getting fucked
1: up. Yeah. The bodies are just piling up. Yeah. I mean,
0: basically, the the important thing is this is just chaos. Uh, And this fight goes into the morning. Oh, no, no, no. Before that, Taylor runs into Barnes. And he doesn't... You can tell he doesn't want to hurt Barnes. Barnes wants to kill him. It's almost like Barnes has been running through this jungle specifically to get Taylor. Yeah. Because he starts fucking him up. And there's a point where uh, he's taking, I think he has like a shovel or something in his hand. An E-tool. I think they call it in the military. And he's about to come down on Taylor, like just break his head in half. And then we see the jets above because they called him bombs. And the place gets leveled. And they just go flying. Then we cut to morning and we see just fucking ash
1: everywhere. It's everywhere. Taylor is completely covered in like soot. Yeah, yeah. From the like bombs. So, yeah, yeah. His his face is all black from it. He's all dirty, and we bloody. And
0: a lot of people probably died from these bombs, even U.S. soldiers. Yeah. So if
1: you lived, it was just pure luck. There, There's like seriously like 50 or 60 bodies just in the area that they're in.
0: Mm-hmm. He gets up, picks up a gun. He sees Barnes. Barnes is just laying there all fucked up. He goes, go on, Taylor. Get me a medic. Because he can't move. And Taylor gives the same look Barnes gave to Elias. He just pulls that gun up. And there's a moment where Elias knows he's going to kill him. And again, you mean Taylor? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Taylor. And uh, he again, we see how suicidal he is because he just goes. We'll do it. And then boom, Barnes is dead. Fucking Taylor fragged his ass, which I don't care. Barnes is a bad guy. Taylor's going to be fucked up the rest of his life because of that. I don't care how bad a person is. If you're in uniform, you shoot somebody else in uniform. That's a dark fucking place to go. So he kills him. We see this other unit coming in and they're kind of picking up who's left. O'Neill, we should say during the middle of this battle, basically just took a dead body, put it over him and just <laughs> skipped out on the whole thing. And They find him. And they're like, uh, what happened? He's like, well. All my men left me. Put your fucking faggots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the fucking lieutenant says to him, you just got promoted the second.
0: One. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Eventually O'Neill's story ends with uh, congratulations, O'Neill. You're you. Uh, you have Barnes's platoon and you see on his face. He's just like motherfucker. Like O'Neill is in a position where he wants to leave Vietnam, but things keep happening where he's like, I'm going to be in Vietnam the rest of my fucking life. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> so we see Taylor. Uh, he's injured. So he's getting flown out. He's fucked up. We even see Francis, the guy who was in the foxhole with him. Francis wakes up, not injured, takes a knife, stabs himself in the leg (laughs) because he's like, I'm fucking out of here. (laughs) Which, honestly, at that point, who can fucking blame him? I'd be stabbing myself in the leg, too. Um, Oh, the other guy who's still alive is the only thing that can kill Bonds is Bonds. He's got his little war stick. He's just fucking he's addicted to war too. He's just <laughs> feeding off of it. So yeah, so Taylor, um, oh, and then we see there, there's also a little moment with the captain, the captain, we didn't talk about much, but he's obviously an old school military guy and he's just looking around at everything. Like you can see in his face how hopeless Vietnam really is. It's like, if this guy, you know, captain of the military probably has crazy experience. If he's looking around and going like, what the fuck? we should all be worried. You know what I mean? Even he doesn't have faith in it anymore. And then, yeah, I mean, this is it. Um, This is what's so brilliant about the way the movie opens and ends is it opens with Taylor coming off that plane and it literally ends with him being flown out. And this is when he directly talks about how Barnes and Elias will forever be fighting inside of him two fathers battling out he's
1: crying on on the on the chopper out of there
0: yeah and he has another great line which um again only someone like oliver stone who went through it could 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 write and he talks about how it's his responsibility forever to carry the dead with him and carry their memories with him which oliver stone talks about that's why he made platoon because he felt a weird responsibility when he lived through Vietnam and so many people died and he actually made three movies about Vietnam this is part of a trilogy uh spiritual trilogy not like the same characters but there's Platoon uh Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise and then I think it's called Heaven and Earth with Tommy Lee Jones and those were his three Vietnam films so that's how it ends um what do you think
1: well, let's go back to the the opening quote again to talk about that.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, rejoice, young man in my youth. That's it. Oh, re- Rejoice. Oh, young man in my youth. I mean, I think that relates to basically these guys and Stone said he specifically hired very, very young guys. He hired Defoe and Barringer and everyone else he
1: wanted like early twenties. Like uh, how old was Defoe in this movie? I imagine he was probably like... He had to be... 26, 27? Yeah. And then he, he Tom thirties might have been in his early 30s whenever this happened, maybe yeah. 34, 35.
0: And then everyone else was basically in like the early 30s. 19, yeah. yeah. Which is the age you see of most guys, and especially guys getting drafted, because those were the guys getting drafted. I mean, I think that quote relates to the fact that war is i mean it's the death of youth you know what i mean these guys are
1: being robbed of their youths the first casualty of war is innocence
0: yeah um so that's what i think it relates because like taylor taylor is probably meant to be something like he says he dropped out of college he's probably meant to be at most 20 21 yeah and his 20s are gone this is an experience that will never leave him he was robbed of his youth you know um But then at the same time, he's also having experiences that very few people have. And he's also probably going to be... He has the potential to be a better man than he could ever be because of this.
1: He experienced life in an ugly way.
0: Right. So I think the whole rejoice in my youth thing, it it has a lot of different meanings. Because it could be like value that youth. Because it could be just stolen from you. Or it could also be pack as much living in as you can. You know? And then fucking take as much as you can from it. But... I think the main theme of the film is, is I mean, we we're talking about youth. It—it It is about really finding who you are in the most extreme circumstances. And it's also about, I think, what influences you in extreme circumstances because it's like Taylor says, he has two battling fathers. Because even at the end of the movie, he kills Barnes. But like I said, in that final firefight, you see how similar he is to Barnes. He is getting a pleasure from the chaos that Elias does not get, but that Barnes does get. So I think even though he kills Barnes, there's still a piece of Barnes that lives with him forever. I think the two most important memories that live with him are Elias and Barnes, and they're going to battle it out forever. And I, I think that's also like a depressing message of the movie, but one that's true. I mean, you know, any guy who's been to war, I mean, they're, I think they're changed forever, but especially Vietnam vets. It's just a different experience. It's a different. It's just, it was, I mean, a, we have to look at it as it's viewed as the one war America lost. It was also when we lost our respect for veterans because they would come home and be protested. And a lot of them didn't even have a choice to go. They were fucking drafted. You're 19 years old. You get drafted. The draft went away during Vietnam. Right. Because they realize like this is not how to win a war because these guys, this is why the army doesn't really offer short contracts anymore, because when you were drafted, you basically had a year in. So it's guys, it's prison time. You're counting down your fucking days. You cannot win a war like that because you're facing people who are defending their land and their homes. And you have kids who are like, I need to get back home. You know what I mean? And smoking as much dope as they can to just stand where they are. So and then you have Taylor. I mean Taylor volunteered because you have crazy motherfuckers like that like Oliver Stone. And I got to say, you know what? Let me ask you this. If you were of this age during Vietnam, would you have volunteered? No. I, w- I I'll say I I want, you know what? I won't say it with like assuredness cuz like that makes me sound like a douchebag. But I would have wa- I would have I would have done something crazy like Stone. I would have volunteered. I believe that because Well, and I think Stone talked about, like, Taylor does say that thing that's seen as kind of naive. He's like, oh, why should all the poor kids go and fight? That was part of why Stone said he joined. Because he was like, well, why the fuck should all these guys be fighting? And I don't have to. You know what I mean? And that was, I mean, when I joined the military, and I was only in the Army Reserve, so my experience is nowhere even close to this. But it wasn't a Vietnam situation, and it also wasn't when we first invaded Iraq or Afghanistan. So it was a little more leveled off, but I still had that feeling when I was that age, I was like, what the fuck, man? Like all these guys got to go fight. And like, I don't have to, which I still, I mean, I never got deployed. I I went through like deployment ready years, but I never had to go. But that's why I think if I was back in Vietnam, I, I probably would have volunteered like stone. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.